Deuteronomy chapter 30, the verses 19 and 20a. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live loving the Lord your God, obeying him, and holding fast to him. This is the word of the Lord. Well, this morning we're beginning a new series of messages on the kinds of things that uh, we as Christians may have said or that other Christians have said to you, perhaps. Some of these are things that we think in our minds, um, but uh, we haven't clearly examined them. They're popular phrases, and oftentimes um, they're intended to bring comfort. Um, they could go by several different names, like a cliche or, or a variety of other different names, but we're calling them platitudes. The series is called Platitudes, and we'll be looking at a different platitude each week during this series. They seem kind of true, partially true, um, but when we examine them, we realize that, well, we probably don't even believe them, actually, um, but we see that they're problematic, and not only problematic, but can even be harmful and destructive at times as well. So what is a platitude? What is a platitude? Here's a definition. A platitude is an obvious meaningless or trite statement, especially one presented as if it were fresh or significant. And we hear them all the time um, in our culture, in society. We hear them in, in business, in the marketplace, in politics, uh, in the news, of course, um, in advertising and in sports. Here are a few examples of some common platitudes. There's no I in team. Good things come to those who wait. I'm sure we can think of plenty of examples otherwise. Time heals all wounds. Um, one of my favorite um, musicians recently had, had a new song come out who said, uh, uh, whoever said time heals our wounds wasn't a slave, I'm guessing. Um, and so forgive and forget, it is what it is. What the mind can conceive, it can achieve. Live each moment like it's your last. Age is just a number. Yeah, right. Um, it could be worse. There are plenty of fish in the sea. So platitudes are common in our society, and they're sometimes even encouraged, perhaps, um, to be used to persuade the masses. Here's how one uh, journalist's um, article was received by his boss as he submitted it for approval. Buzzword, jargon, buzzword, hyperbole, buzzword, buzzword, trite rhyming platitude. Yep, looks good. And they, these platitudes that we see and experience and hear um, in, in our daily lives, they also creep into the church sometimes. Um, when we want to offer comfort to someone and we don't know what to say, I'm guilty myself of offering unexamined platitudes from time to time. They seem to contain some truth, but the truth is only partial. And, uh, and so today we're looking at one of these phrases, one of these platitudes that we've found in the church sometimes, from time to time. And it goes like this, everything happens for a reason. 
has, ha, has anyone ever said this phrase to you? Every, anything, everything happens for a reason. Has anyone ever said this phrase? Don't raise your hand. No, really. I'm just kidding. Um, and, and I'm guessing at some point that most of us have said this phrase or something like it before. And when we do that, we usually mean to be comforting. We want to help people who are going through a hard time. Um, and by that, when we say everything happens for a reason, what do we mean? Well, what we don't mean is that we live in a world of cause and effect. We know we live in a world of cause and effect. If I walked down and turned the lights off, it would go dark. And then someone would say, well, why is it dark? Well, because I turned the lights off. So that's cause and effect. We all know that. That's obvious. What Christians usually mean when we say everything happens for a reason is that God has a plan. And you might not be able to see that plan, um, and whatever hard thing it is that you're going through in your life right now, it's going to be an okay in the end because God wanted it to happen. God willed for this to happen. This was God's plan. We wouldn't necessarily use those words, but, uh, but we're really implying when we say this, everything happens for a reason, whether we realize it or not, uh, we're saying that God has a plan that we can't see and God has willed this to happen. There are a few other ways of kind of saying the same thing. Um, here are a few. We'll say it was meant to be. It must have been their time. It was part of the plan. It must have been God's will. And so I want to question that today. Does everything happen for a God-determined reason? Does everything that happens, happens because God wants it to happen for some plan that God has that we can't quite see yet? And is that plan immutable such that we can't do anything to change it? Um, well, I, don't, I think if I were to ask you, you would give us a resounding no, God is not like that. I don't think anyone in this room actually believes that, but some do um, in, in the church um, at large. And so I'd like to offer just a few critiques um, and a helpful way forward. So a few problems, three problems with this phrase, everything happens for a reason. And the first problem is that it removes responsibility from us. If everything happens for a reason, then we don't have to be responsible for our actions and what we do. Just by virtue of the fact that it happens, it must be the will of God. I can't be held responsible for my actions. I was only doing what I was supposed to do. So you cheat on your spouse, well, everything happens for a reason. I mean, it was supposed to be that way. God, God intended it for, for this to happen. Um, if I text while I'm driving and someone is killed, well, that must have been the victim's time. You know, so even though I did something terrible, um, right, it was God who put me up to it, um, you know, kind of puppeting things around. I was only doing what God planned that I do. So that's the first problem. It, it removes human responsibility. The second problem is similar to the first, and that is that it actually places the responsibility on God for everything that happens in our world, and even the mistakes and the atrocities that we make as human beings. It makes God responsible for the evil. You can test this out um, by just looking at the, the headlines from this past week. Um, a community in Jackson, Mississippi is without safe drinking water in the United States of America. Was that God's will? Um, wars that kill women and children and civilians. 
It's at God's will. Shooters taking out their rage in grocery stores or in schools. Are these things really God's plan? Did God cause this to happen to fulfill some kind of a plan that we can't yet see? This means, this would mean then that every rape, every murder, every act of child abuse, every storm or earthquake, every child that dies of starvation, all because God planned it and willed it. Everything happens for a reason. So that's the second problem. The third problem um, is if we really believe that everything happens for a reason, that whatever happens that's part of God's plan, then that ultimately leads to fatalism and indifference. So in terms of practically how we live our lives, fatalism says we are powerless and we can't do anything to affect real change in the world. Whatever will be, will be. So there's no reason to wear a seatbelt if you get in a car accident and you die. Well, that's, you know, God predetermined, ordained this to happen. Why work out and uh, exercise and eat healthy and take care of your body? God's going to take your life when it's your time to go. I kind of like that one, actually. Um, But diagnosed with cancer, don't go see an oncologist. In fact, if you do, you're working against God's plan and God's, God's will. Right? And so this then eliminates the entire medical profession as a healing agent that God uses to bring about his, his, uh, his goodness in the world. And we talked about this around the coronavirus vaccine and whether to get vaccines or not. And there were some who um, didn't get a vaccine for medical reasons, but I don't think there was anybody for theological reasons to not get a vaccine. We, we kind of talked about that. Um, And so anyway, so consider this when it comes to politics or sports. If you don't like your congressmen, better not work against them. They're just exercising God's will, right? Don't like Congress's laws or the president's policies. Listen, this was the will of God. Or think about uh, the World Cup. The World Cup is coming up. Why would a team bother to practice or train at all? Um, the, the outcome is already predetermined. The Utes game last night, the tragic loss. I mean, don't bother throwing, you know, practicing your 15-yard passes into the end zone or kicking a field goal. God predetermined that loss last night, so you get the idea. But is this really how things work? No, of course not. We take a closer look and we might be tempted to say everything happens for a reason because you want somebody to feel comforted, but we see that we don't really believe this ourselves. When we start asking questions like this, what we're really doing is we are asking theology questions. We're, we're asking, what is God like? Who is God? How does he work in the world? How does he operate? And so one area of theology that this raises for us is the doctrine of divine providence. Providence. In here you see the word provide. This is how, how does God provide for his people, for the world? How does God sustain the universe? How does God, um, how does God oversee and superintend what happens in our world? And we Christians believe in God's providence. We believe that God governs the universe, that he sustains all of life. But how and to what degree, that's where the rub is. That's where the questions lie. Closely linked to this providence is the doctrine of sovereignty. And sovereignty, you hear the word sovereign, and to be sovereign means to be not dependent on anything else. Um, and so, 
you know, um, God's sovereignty means that he doesn't depend on anything else. He is the, has the highest authority. Um, our Jewish brothers and sisters, when they pray, they will address God as king of the universe. So that's, that's God's sovereignty. He's, um, you know, no higher authority. All power, glory, and dominion belong to him. And all Christian traditions believe this in God's sovereignty and in God's providence. But how this authority is exercised and, um, and, and what that looks like, that's where the confusion is. So I wanna think about a, a couple of common different ways in which we conceive of God and how God works in the world and hopefully provide a helpful way forward. So some Christians believe that everything happens for a reason. As I mentioned, that God is um, sort of puppets things around, that every single thing that happens is because God God directed it and willed it to happen. Um, God is, in essence, micromanaging the universe. And this view is known as theological determinism. God has predetermined it all. Some people pejoratively call this hyper-Calvinism or double-Calvinism. I don't really have time to get into all of that. I think it's more helpful to determine what's true than what one person said or didn't say. But my sense is that there was a resurgence um, around this view about 20 years ago or so, uh, of, especially among young adults, um, particularly prominent in Seattle and Washington. Um, but this idea, in a, in a world of great confusion, in a postmodern world with a lot of gray area, it's really attractive to have black and white answers. And it's, it's, it can be quite appealing to know that God is working all of this stuff out. But the idea is, inconsistent with a God of mercy, a God of justice, and a God of love. This phrase, everything happens for a reason, kind of springs out of this idea of theological determinism. God has predetermined it all. And we can find some passages in Scripture that sort of point to this and so, sort of support this idea, but you'd have to take them out of context because the overarching image uh, and strongest image in Scripture is that God governs creation not as a micromanager who manages every tiny detail, but as one who gives people freedom to choose and empowers them to make their own choices, even if at times we make the wrong decision. God created us as human beings, gave us a mind to reason, a heart to feel, the capacity to conceive of medical advancements and um, people around us making decisions and so that we're making decisions and we're, what we're doing and we're doing all of this is we're supposed to be exercising God's dominion over the world on God's behalf. So if you were to open your Bible to page one in the creation story, at the end of the creation story, after God has created all of the things in six days and rested on the seventh, then uh, he says this, God blessed them, Adam and Eve that is, and said to them, which are basically archetypes for all humanity, so God says to us, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. So God is sovereign and ruler of all things and then says to the human race, I'm in charge and I'm putting you in charge. Now does that mean that God is not in charge because God has put us in charge? No, God is still in charge. He's just put us in charge, right? Um, so 
He's given us responsibility to exercise dominion or stewardship of, of the world and everything that happens on this planet. He gives us freedom to make choices, good or bad, puts us in the place of being responsible for what happens. And so that means that we cannot blame God when we do something that misses the mark. So we find this idea that God is responsible, God uses us to exercise his dominion, his governance of the world. And so throughout the scripture, we, we see that God lays out um, up one path and another path. There's a path that leads to life, and this is a path of knowing God, and there's a path that's, that's the wrong path. It's a godless life. Um, it, we see this in our passage from Deuteronomy. Moses had led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, led them through the wilderness. They've got received the law and all of that. They're on the edge of the promised land. They're about to go in without their leader. And Moses says, I want to say this to you one more time so that you don't forget, so that you know when you go into the land that this is what this is about. Um, and this is what he says. Uh, to the people of Israel. He says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying him, holding fast to him, for that means life to you and length of days. Isn't it interesting? It says, he's saying, I'm showing you, here's this one path. Um, that leads to life, and here's this other path that leads to death, and if you follow this path and you hold fast to God and you love God and you seek to love your neighbor um, and do God's will in the world, um, and then at the other path, the other side, is that you live for yourself and you really don't care about God's will in the world or most people, and one of these paths leads to life and the other one leads to death. I bear witness, and I ask heaven to bear witness. Choose life. Now, he would not have given those Israelites this command to make this choice if they did not have the capacity to choose. It's one of the great ideas of Scripture, that God created you, that God gave you the capacity to reason, that he speaks to you, tries to guide you into the truth and into love and into life. And we get to decide to say yes to that. We saw this in the book of Ruth. This great risk that God takes in governing the world in this particular way. But that's what love looks like. It requires freedom. So the Israelites had a very real choice. And if God has dominion and he's given it to us, that leads to another question then. Is there anything that God does do in our world if God doesn't micromanage it, if he's not pushing buttons and pulling levers, then what is God doing? So on the opposite end of the theological spectrum from determinism is this idea that was very popular in the 18th century, particularly among some of our nation's founders, and that's the idea of deism. And deism says uh, basically that God set everything in motion, set up the laws of nature, um, and just kind of stood back and let the thing unwind, like a top you would spin on a, on a table or a clock that you would make and let it go. Um, we might call it the absentee landlord god. 
So on the one hand, you have a micromanager God. On the other hand, you have an absentee landlord God. This God set everything up and says, choose life, and it's all up to you, and the whole thing's in your hands. Problem with this, of course, is that it excludes the idea of God delivering the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. It excludes the idea of God ever speaking to us through Scripture. It excludes the idea of Jesus being sent by God to show us the way, the truth, and the life. It excludes the idea of the indwelling Holy Spirit uh, within us. All of those are considered God's interventions in the world. And deism says that God doesn't intervene at all. So you have a micromanager, you have an absentee landlord. We as Christians believe that God is involved in our world and does intervene. It's just that God isn't forcing everything to happen all the time. It doesn't mean that God doesn't step in miraculously from time to time to save a life in answer to prayer. But sometimes he chooses not to and there's mystery there that we have to live with. But mainly, according to the scriptures, God chooses to work through us, to work through the people who love him and who follow him. And he encourages us and inspires us. Um, and so what this looks like in, in our daily lives, it begins when I wake up in the morning and I say, God, I, I help me to live for you today. And as the day goes on, I seek to be attentive to what God is doing in me. And oftentimes I get um, distracted or off track or totally derailed. And I try to take control over things myself. And then the Holy Spirit gets me back on track. Well, how does that happen? Um, well, I'll say that in a second. I've, I've noticed that God speaks. Um, I've never heard an audible voice and I cannot be certain if it's God who's speaking or my imagination or indigestion. But the life of faith is not about certainty. It's about trust. And I've come to trust over time that if I feel an urging within me to respond to something, to do something, that I should pay attention to that. Just the other day on Friday, um, I was driving home from Park City and I felt an urge saying, call your mom. <laughs> Just call your mom. And I was thinking, well, I have a lot of things. I, I, I have an audio book that I really need to listen to on my way home. But I decided to listen to that urge and, and I called my mom and, and she answered and my dad was there and we talked for 35 minutes and it was wonderful. And, uh, and I would say, that, uh, that was the Holy Spirit nudging me. So I, I have an, a smart watch that I wear. And um, if I uh, am sitting down for an hour, it will vibrate and it will say, stand up. And if my heart rate goes up, you know, if I get anxious about something, it will vibrate and it will say, uh, take one minute of slow, deep breathing and it will guide me through a breath thing. Um, sometimes, randomly, it'll just say, take three minutes for reflection, to reflect. Um, and, and here's the thing, the, the, the watch can't force me to do any of those things. It can't force me to stand up when it's time to stand up. I have that choice. I can ignore it and say, not right now, thank you very much. 
or I can respond to the nudge accordingly. And I think that's kind of like how the Holy Spirit works in our lives. Don't take this analogy too far. It breaks down really quick after this. But it's as though the Holy Spirit nudges us. It's like our reminders on our, on our wrist. Um, we feel it as a conviction of the heart or a, um, something within us that says, I really should do this. And, and it's wise to respond to these things. I do believe that there are such things as divine appointments, that God puts this nudge on, that you'd go see this person, at, and that would land at just the right time. And I'd say that these things do happen for a reason. I just don't think that everything that happens, happens for a God-determined reason. Um, I think we pay attention each day. And we go out on God's mission and God uses us and works through us and asks us to be stewards of all that he has given us. And so we're meant to be every day involved and engaged in God's rule in the world. And we find joy when we do that. And that's most often, I think, how God works. Sometimes we make good decisions. Sometimes we make poor decisions. Sometimes we collide with the laws of nature. We hurt ourselves or we hurt others. Um, someone from the congregation sent me this meme last week. Everything happens for a reason, but sometimes the reason is that you're stupid and you make bad decisions. <laughs> it might be a little harsh, but, you know, you kind of captures the idea. And so God wrote the laws of nature. God gave us a brain. God's spirit leads us. The scriptures help us to understand what God's will is for our lives. Jesus shows us what that looks like in real human form. And we're meant to be on mission every day to be God's hands and God's voice in the world. And when we recognize that sometimes horrible things happen, and this is a, a horrible part of life, we also recognize that the horrible things will not have the last word. And that's what the resurrection of Jesus is all about, that not even death will be um, the final word. So the Christian faith asserts that God does seek to influence us. God did send Jesus to save and deliver us. And God does on rare occasions step in and, and intervene for reasons we don't fully understand in the affairs of this world in miraculous ways. Deism and determinism offer two polar um, visions of how God works in the world. I think the truth is somewhere in between. In the early hours of April 15th, 1912, 110 years ago, you might remember, not that you were around, but uh, the infamous ship named the Titanic sank in the North Atlantic Ocean, having run into an iceberg. And it's still one of the worst maritime disasters of all time. 1,500 people were lost at sea. And much like many other events throughout history that grab people's attention or the attention of the world, pastors that following Sunday want to give a word and, and, and address this in their sermons. Well, in a small, sleepy Swiss village, there was a young pastor by the name of Karl Barth, who was 25 years old, and arguably, at least in my view, the most important theologian of the last century. But he would often bore his congregation with long, theologically dense sermons, week after week after week. But the Sunday after the sinking of the Titanic called for something a little bit more meaningful, perhaps, for the congregation. He used the beginning part, of course, to lay out his theology of creation and, and uh, how the power of the Almighty 
Almighty, created the cosmos, bring, brought life into all creatures. He referenced heavily from the book of Genesis and went on and on. But at the end, he said something that grabbed their attention. It was quite simple, actually, a very big theological idea in quite simple terms. He said this, God most certainly put the iceberg in the water, but God did not make the captain feel pressured to beat the record time across the Atlantic and thereby neglect to pass slowly and safely through a region filled with icebergs. I mean, I think any one of us would have said the exact same thing. And here's uh, one of the most brilliant theologians um, essentially boiling it down for us. This simple reflection, it's not perfect, but it points to a better way of thinking about everything happens for a reason. Sometimes there are reasons um, that things happen. People feel tempted to go faster than they should. Um, they run red lights or they run into icebergs. But that doesn't mean that God caused the car accident to happen or that God willed the Titanic to sink. And sometimes things happen for no reason at all. Fathers in perfect health um, and in the prime of their lives die of a sudden heart attack or brain aneurysm. Natural disasters, tsunamis, hurricanes come out of nowhere to devastate communities, and we understand that there are some science uh, around that. Marriages fall apart for no particular reason other than just the buildup of small, unresolved disagreements over time that never get settled. And yet there is hope. There is hope because God can work through people like you and me to bring about the kingdom on earth. God still speaks through the ancient scriptures to remind us of the importance of ministering to the last, the lost, and the least. God places opportunities in front of us in our lives every day to respond to. And in, when, when, we, when we do so, we, we can actually become the reason that good things happen. And that leads to one final thought. Um, that you all know so well. It's captured in an often quoted passage from Paul's letter to the Romans. It goes like this. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. What this doesn't say is that God makes bad things happen for some reason that we don't know about. Um, nor does it say that whatever happens was God's will, part of God's plan. It says that whatever happens, God will somehow bring good for those who love him. God won't waste anything you put in your hands, any of your trials and tribulations and sufferings and even your mistakes. God will not waste it if you put it in his hands. God brings beauty out of ashes as we sing. And this was the message that, that uh, Bree gave to us last week from Ruth chapter 4. We serve a God who forces evil to accomplish good. That's what God does when we trust him with our whole lives, not just with the parts that we'd prefer. And so I want to encourage you to not have an overly simplistic approach to faith that says everything happens for a reason without examining that. Because if it hasn't already, the day is going to come when you're going to go through something really hard and unexpected and I just want you to be prepared when that day does come. So between the picture of the micromanaging God who causes everything to happen and the absentee landlord God who's not involved in our lives is a picture of God who grants human beings freedom, who allows us to make decisions and take risks. 
And we understand that tragedy is not caused by God, but it's used by God, where God can directly and supernaturally intervene, but usually he works indirectly through people. And where we have the assurance that in the end, death will not be swallowed up in victory. Death will, death has been swallowed up in victory, the victory of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. We thank you, God. Uh, this is an amazing gift that you've given us as human beings that you neither control us nor leave us to our own devices, but you give us freedom and great love. We thank you for sending Jesus to save us when we could not save ourselves and giving us the Holy Spirit that we might make decisions that are wise, that are good, and that bring your kingdom on this earth. When we go through hard times, remind us neither to blame you uh, nor to carry the burden of shame into our futures, but to trust in your redemptive plan and to look for it and to work for it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.